Anywhere between two to 3,000 truckers are stuck in very long lines in freezing temperatures. Two Ukrainian uh, truckers have died. They're threatening to, you know, continue protesting for months and months. Some people are saying that Ukraine could suffer, like, you know, losses of 1% of its GDP as a result of this. So it's hundreds of millions of dollars. So when Ukrainians come and say, like, you know, you're stabbing us in the back, the polls feel a little bit like, okay, guys, come on. You know, like, do you not really appreciate how much we've helped you? How is Ukraine going to integrate into the European Union when the time comes? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be rough, plain and simple. Like, it's not going to be an easy process. Hi, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Ukraine, a show where the newsroom of the Cuban Independent explains Ukraine's biggest events in just under 30 minutes. I'm your host, Anastasia Lopatina. Today, I'm joined by our business editor, Lillian Bivings to talk about the Polish trucker protests at the Ukrainian border crossings and why, a month later, Ukraine and Poland still haven't resolved the crisis. Lily, welcome. Thanks for having me. Before we go on, I'll remind you guys to please subscribe to The Kim Independent wherever you're listening to the show, whether that's on YouTube or on audio platforms. Leave comments, reviews, likes. It takes just a few seconds for you, but it goes a really long way for us because that is exactly what helps YouTube and other platforms promote our podcast so more people will be informed about Ukraine. So, Lily, we brought you here today to talk about the situation at the Ukrainian-Polish border, where Polish truckers have been effectively blocking several crossings for around a month now. So tell us what exactly has been going on there. Yeah, so since November 6th, Polish truckers have been blocking three border crossings with Ukraine over what they say is unfair competition from Ukrainian truckers. Since no, as of November 27th, I believe, they've been blocking a fourth border crossing as well. And in total, Poland and Ukraine have eight border crossings. So it's not all of them, but it's a, you know, it's half. And I mean, at this point, it's like thousands from anywhere between two to 3,000 truckers are stuck in very long lines in freezing temperatures. Two Ukrainian truckers have died. Well, the Polish police say one, Kiev says two. You know, negotiations are going nowhere. Why exactly has this been happening? Like, what are the protesters' complaints and demands? So following Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine, in June 2022, the EU lifted these permits for the Ukrainian truckers to be able to enter the EU. And what Polish truckers are saying is that now, because they can get in without these permits, they're able to offer lower prices for logistics services mm-hmm. and, and are basically undercutting Polish truckers who can't compete with their Ukrainian prices because they're bound by these strict EU regulations. The Polish truckers are also complaining that on the Ukrainian side, there's this sort of e-registration program that Ukraine has, where Ukrainian truckers can get back into Ukraine much quicker than Polish truckers can, which they also say is creating an unfair advantage. And the Polish truckers are demanding that the EU reinstate these permits. And they're basically saying that, you know, only at the EU level can this decision be made to, to reinstate these permits because it was the decision was originally made at that level. And the permits were canceled because of the well, terrible situation with the grain blockade by Russia, right? So this is yeah. easy Ukrainian export. Of course, right. So the blockade, Ukraine's Black Sea exports by Russia is what created the situation in the first place. I mean, most of Ukraine's exports uh, used, to, used to go out uh, through its Black Sea ports. So what the Polish truckers are saying now is kind of like, well, what was supposed to just be something to help Ukraine get its exports out because of the Black Sea blockade is now kind of creating this this unfair advantage for Ukrainian truckers and this problem for Polish truckers. And, you know, uh, there's just no end in sight 
right now for, in terms of the negotiations. It's just going nowhere. I mean, is there is there any evidence to support the claims that, you know, this unfair advantage is actually causing substantial problems and like disturbing Polish markets, etc.? Yeah, I mean, both the Polish and the Ukrainian side have said that before the full-scale invasion, there was something like 160,000 permits annually given to Ukrainian truck drivers to enter the EU. In a year, that number has jumped to almost a million. So, I mean, wow. it's a big change. That is a huge change. However, uh, what the Polish side doesn't mention is that it's not just that the Ukrainian truckers are entering more and they're undercutting them. There's the, the whole situation has changed, right? So Polish trucking companies used to employ a lot of Ukrainian truck drivers who have, for one reason or another, gone back to Ukraine, maybe to fight in the military, to help out in other ways, gone back to their families. And now they can't leave Ukraine again to work for the Polish companies that they may have before. Right. So like the Polish trucking industry has lost some of its drivers, Ukrainian drivers that previously worked in it. Secondly, you know, Polish truckers are not going into a lot of the areas that they used to in Ukraine because for security reasons. And Ukrainian drivers are more willing to, to go into those areas, right? So Polish truckers are losing out on, on that as well. And there's also the, just the simple fact that like demand has changed in Europe. The, like the, there's less demand in Ukraine for, you know, the logistics industry in general. So there's just less business for Polish truckers. In general, in Europe, there's less demand because of the economic situation created because of Russia's war. So there's a lot of things that are going into, there's a lot of factors as to why the industry has changed. Oh, and of course, Polish truckers have lost business in Belarus and Russia because of sanctions, because of the war in Mm -hmm. general. Um, And so that's also created a problem for their business. It's not just like Ukraine's fault and the Ukrainian truckers that are now entering and undercutting them. There's a lot of factors. And who exactly are these truckers? Is it some sort of like union-led effort or an individual effort um, or a national effort to protest against these things? So the leader is this guy named Rafał Meckler. I think that's how you pronounce it. He is a Polish trucker. He owns a Polish trucking company. And he is linked to the Confederacja party in Poland, which is a very conservative party in Poland that has ties to Russia. It's definitely expressed anti-Ukrainian sentiment for sure. And I mean, there's been a lot of reports about Meckler and the other truck, Polish truckers' connections to Russia and, and to Russian and Belarusian companies. So there's that group, and they're the ones who kind of started all of this. But at the same time, I mean, you have Slovak Trucker Union also, you know, joining in or, or threatening to, to block the border with Slovakia and Ukraine. There's also other far-right and conservative politicians in Poland have visited the border. You have the, the farmers who staged these massive grain protests last year who have also joined in. So it's not just one group, but it is, I mean, we can say that the, the, the thread between all of the people is definitely sort of a conservative right-wing one. But yeah, it's, 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 um, there's various, the various factors there. And what are the governments of Ukraine and Poland doing or they're not doing to stop this? Because to be honest, I'm extremely surprised that something like, you know, protests by truckers at a border can take so long to resolve. Like, you know, I, I thought that this would be over in a matter of weeks, but here we are. And as you said, they're, they're threatening to, you know, continue protesting for months and months. So this border crisis has caught Poland between two governments. There were elections, uh, government is still being formed. 
And the current government, like, is not going to take on an issue this big because, you know, they're on their way out. And I mean, there's just no one really to make a decision about this. The Ukrainian side, for its part, understandably so, has made a lot of really kind of emotional remarks to the Polish side. Which I've read have only kind of made it worse, right? I mean, yeah, they've said that this is a stab in the back, that this is economic genocide. Uh, Wow. Yeah, which are completely understandable given Ukraine's position and Ukraine's difficulty in managing its economy, especially exports during Russia's full-scale invasion. But it hasn't helped like smooth things over in negotiations. It's only just made things more heated. And that's, you know, um, there's this kind of like tension right now between Poland and Ukraine, which is that like the Poles feel like they've done so much for Ukraine. And, and they we, have. And they have. Yeah. And, and when Ukrainians come and say like, you know, you're stabbing us in the back, the Poles feel a little bit like, okay, guys, come on, you know, like, do you not really appreciate how much we've helped you? So it's, Like, but at the same time, I mean, yeah, obviously this is going to be heated. And like recently there was kind of one bright spot where the Polish and Ukrainian sides agreed that they would let empty trucks pass uh, through the border, which is like, you know, a good sign. It's some sort of negotiations, but I mean, empty trucks going into Ukraine doesn't help like Ukraine's imports, for example, right? I mean, like that doesn't, and it could lead to shortages. It could lead to higher prices. So basically you just have to wait until Poland has a new government and that new government will be led by Tusk, who is pro-EU politician. And of course the EU's stance on this is that they're not going to, you know, give in to the Polish protesters. They're not going to let themselves get bullied by an EU member once again after the grain protests happen and they, you know, um, implemented this ban on certain, allowed the, the ban of certain agricultural products into EU countries from Ukraine. And even after that, they lifted that ban. Poland imp- uh, implemented its own unilateral bans, which is totally in defiance of EU right. trade law. Like it's the, illegal. The, right. Like uh, an EU member cannot do that. So I think this time around, the EU is like, no, no, we're not going to get, you know, bullied by you. And so they're basically just saying like, Poland needs to stop this. And no, we're not, you know, sort of bending to your will this time. So hopefully I think when, when Tusk is in there, he will be able to put an end to them somehow in a way that does not look like what happened. Grain bans and agricultural product bans. So it looks like Poland just have to is going to have to figure out the problem with truckers kind of on its own, like via some sort of monetary support to truckers, or because it looks like no one is expecting Ukraine to change its rules and laws of border crossings, right? No, I mean. There might be something, I think the, the Polish side, Polish truckers want to be a part of this e-registration system that Ukraine has, where it can also get in faster. So maybe there'll be some negotiations on that. But, but no, I mean, I think the, the EU is expecting the, the incoming Polish government to, to, to take charge of that. To deal with it and yeah. to put an end to it, however you need to do that. I don't know. So what have been the monetary consequences of all of this? Can we put a number on it? Because I've seen some really high numbers in the Ukrainian media on the cost of these blockades. There's been a lot of different numbers. Even in our reporting, uh, there just seems to be like different numbers. One of the business associations, the European Business Association, said that basically out of a survey of 55 companies that they did, these companies are losing like around $30,000 a day on this. But then the Federation of Employers of Ukraine has put like the total economic losses at something like 400 million. I think exports are down between October and November, like 200 million. Some people are saying that Ukraine could suffer like, you know, losses of 1% of its GDP as a result of this. 
So it's hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really, it's hard because we've talked to some companies in our reporting, Ukraine, like large Ukrainian retailers who have said, like, we've managed to get around it by switching to railroad transport or going to other border crossings. So yeah, it's costing more for companies, but there's ways around it. So it's, we'll see. I mean, certainly if it keeps going, Ukrainian companies are expecting some shortages. If there are shortages, if it's more expensive to import things, obviously those costs will be passed on to the consumers. So prices will be higher, right? So it's, you know. It's a bit early to kind yeah. of I mean, yeah. estimate huge consequences, so. right? Right. But I think it's more just that it's just very disruptive to the economy. It's disruptive to Ukraine's political situation. It's just, just very, very disruptive. It takes you, money and time to right. figure this bureaucracy right. out and we don't have either just of Just deal with it, yeah. What about the humanitarian and military aid that is crossing the border? Because we have huge amounts of that coming in daily as well. Is that being blocked too? Technically, no. Technically, the Polish truckers are only blocking commercial goods. And they're letting in humanitarian aid, military aid. But there have been reports that some things have ended up being blocked. Like some military aid, humanitarian aid has, you know, ended up being a part of the blockade. So, of course, that's an issue. But mostly it's just commercial goods. And so is Poland the only country, uh, the only Ukrainian neighbor that's kind of, you know, experiencing these border tensions with Ukraine? Because as we've mentioned, there were several countries who were very unhappy about Ukrainian grain exports in the past. So, no, I mean, it's not just Poland. Um, It's there was a, a statement that was put out by the representatives of truckers from Poland, Slovakia, Hungary. Uh, the Czech Republic and Lithuania, actually. So, I mean, it's not just Poland that's affected by this. You know, and the statement said that, you know, they need to put an end to this permit-free situation situation for, for Ukrainian truckers. And so, no, I mean, I mean, it's, it might be a case that this, what's happened in Poland is, is spreading because they're inspiring others to, to think about it, you know, and, and to protest. But I think that it's just the economic changes that have happened to Ukraine's neighboring countries, because of course the neighboring countries are going to be the ones that feel the changes the yeah. most, right? So, of course, they're going to complain about these things. Of course, they they have created changes in their industries. And um, so it's, yeah, it's, and, it, and I think one country where it's actually kind of at risk of really spreading is Slovakia, where they've, they've threatened to, to close borders. There are some protests happening. All of this got me thinking, like, how you how is Ukraine going to integrate into the European Union when the time comes? If like this tiny amount, like relatively tiny amount of exports is causing such a big issue already within just a few months. I mean, Ukraine is a huge agricultural producer. Like it, how, how are we going to, do we have any plans or like what, what what's going to happen? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be rough, plain and simple. Like it's not going to be an easy process. And I think this is actually a good like trailer kind of preview. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like a preview for people to see what this is going to look like. There's just going to be showdown after showdown after showdown because A, all of these countries, especially the boarding countries, are going to have their own like thing with Ukraine. Like they're going to feel that Ukraine is creating competition for, especially in agriculture. That's inevitable. Right, right. I mean, Ukraine is an agricultural powerhouse. The cliche is that it's the breadbasket of, of Europe, which it is. And like essentially all of these countries know that once Ukraine gets into the EU, it's going to create massive competition for them. It's also going to create lower prices for people around the EU, right? But, you know, they're, they're, I think these countries are going to do whatever they can to try to mitigate this as much as possible through these negotiations. However, it's inevitable. Like, it's just, Ukraine is going to cost the EU a lot of money in the beginning because, of course, like, the EU has these subsidies 
for agricultural land and by like the amount of hectares you have, you get these subsidies. So Ukraine is looking at like, you know, I don't know, tens of billions of dollars in subsidies from the EU. So of course, they're going to complain about that. They're going to complain about competition. But this is the exact same thing that happened when Poland and Hungary and all these countries joined the EU, like, especially even with truckers, there was this whole thing where the Germans were complaining that the Polish truckers were undercutting, undercutting their business and, hmm. you know, providing logistics at a lower cost. And also like complaining that basically like companies can pay a Polish, well, at the time, right, could pay a Polish driver much cheaper than they could pay, they would pay a German. It's, gonna, it's the same thing is going to happen with Ukraine, right? Uh, it's already, I mean, that's what the Polish truckers are complaining about now is that basically like they can't compete with the low prices that Ukrainian trucking companies offer. So, I mean, yeah, we're just, we're headed for a showdown. But like, and the, the unfortunate thing is that like people's memories are very short. And I was just going to say, how come yeah. it's still taking so long to resolve if we've, like, we've been here before? I mean, because no one re- remembers 2004. Like, come on. Uh, yeah. you know? So, and, but what they will remember is like these grain protests in Poland and the, the grain bans. And they'll remember these trucker protests and they'll remember all of this bad blood. And so like that it's going to, we're going into negotiations with all of this, you know, tension already. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be very difficult. We're now moving to the community question of this episode. You guys should go to clevelandependent.com slash membership to support us there and become a member of our community. There is an option for a one-time donation and also an option for a monthly support for as little as $5 a month. And you get really cool perks. Of course, our favorite perk is that you get to send us in questions before every single episode of this podcast. And we try to incorporate as many of them as we can all throughout. So the question we're going to be answering today is, Actually, something we already mentioned briefly, the links to Russia, so the links between Russia and the Polish truckers who are protesting. The member says, I have recently read that the Polish organizers of the blockade had links with both the extreme right and the Russians, making them an ideal tool of Putin's policy to hurt and strangle Ukraine's economy. Can you confirm or dispute this claim? I mean, I cannot confirm uh, the claim, obviously. And I, you know, Right off the bat, like we should say, yes, these groups that are carrying out these protests are conservative politically. They are members of, you know, right-wing parties that do have ties to Russian business or had in the past ties to Russian businesses, maybe still do, definitely have expressed anti-Ukrainian sentiments. Are they agents of Russia? Are they paid to do this? Again, we can't confirm that. We don't know that. I mean, I wouldn't put it past Russia for trying to do this or for at least having some sort of hand in it. Just like, you know, when we're talking about the U.S. elections of Donald Trump, Russian disinformation campaigns certainly were at work there, right? Yeah. Russians take everybody's hand and make them vote for Trump in the United States? No, right? So, I mean, it's like, yes, they probably have an influence there, right? But are they also- Behind it? Behind it, I mean, we can't say. And And for me, it's like, you know, these truckers are worried about their bottom line. They're worried about how much money they make. They're worried about their own families. They have their own concerns. And um, the legitimate concerns. Yeah, right. Uh, about the economic changes happening as a result of Russia's war. I mean, at the end of the day, this isn't Ukraine's fault. This is Russia's fault, right? But, so in that sense, Russia is behind yeah, it, yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, you know, uh, they are probably protesting because they are, uh, you know, there is some sort of anxiety about the, the economic changes that are happening. I think we should really caution people against uh, kind of assuming that everything that in some way 
doesn't benefit Ukraine or says something ne- negative about Ukraine, that that is some sort of Russian disinformation operation or, you know, Russian agents doing this. Because unfortunately, I see this very often, especially in the Ukrainian society, but then also abroad. It's like every time anything even remotely bad happens, oh, of course, it's Russia. Of course, it's, I don't know, R- Russian intelligence services. Like, unless we actually see evidence of that, I don't think it's clever to assume that because sometimes Ukraine also, you know, messes up. We may also create, you know, like negative circumstances for certain groups of people who are unhappy about that. A great example of that is like how in Ukraine, sometimes people smear Western journalists, right? Like, Or even their own journalists. Or, or their own journalists, because it's pretty much impossible to say or write anything negative about Ukraine without being accused of being a Russian agent. Yeah. I mean, we, the people to keep independent are accused of this. I mean, it's absurd, right? Like being a Russian agent, if we write something negative about the Ukrainian government or about the war. Right. And so it's, it's very convenient for the Ukrainian side when this very. narrative is out there. You know, it may have even, it's, it's, prob- it's a narrative that's probably pushed by the Ukrainian government. Of course it is. Um, mm-hmm. But you can't just say when something happens that you don't like, you can't just say it's like a Russian agent, you know, or it's Russia. Like, Unfortunately, you know, very often it, it is, but, but well, they have their hand in yeah. there somewhere. I mean, at the end of the day, all of this is Russia's fault, right? Like the economic changes and the hardship that these truckers may or may not be facing is Russia's fault. And so it's, but he, the thing is, is it's very convenient for Russia when these things happen regardless. So even if their hand isn't there or they haven't financed it, or they haven't, you know, created this problem or disinformation campaigns or tried to create it. Uh, these situations play right into their hand anyway. Yeah, but it, I think it's really important for us to talk about that, like just because something's happening that we don't like. Uh, and it may benefit Russia. Right. Doesn't mean that we can just say Russia's doing it. And, and I think it's important to caution against that also, not only because it just may be false and you know, un- untrue, and that doesn't help the information space, but also because that absolves whoever is actually responsible of responsibility and the push to like actually do something about it, right? So instead of going out there and like trying to fix these very real economic problems between the two friendly allies, we're just going to, you know, say that, you know... Oh, yeah, trade maybe. blame back and forth. Right? Yeah, you're, yeah, just, yeah. you're just trading blame right, and right. blaming Russia and that's where it ends. Right. Like, no, you actually have to solve the issue. Right, like the, the Polish side that's, you know, very conservative says like, oh, these Ukrainians are just spoiled brats at this point. This is crazy. You know, we've given them enough. Why can't they just calm down and, you know, mm-hmm. and go back to things as they were? I mean, even though the war is still very much going on here, Ukrainians can't, mm-hmm. they can't export things out of the Black Sea. They need these, this, this road transport. They yeah. need railway transport. So like the Polish side is unjustified in like this, like, oh, why are you whining? <laughs> you know? And then the Ukrainian side is, is, is hardly unjustified in saying like, oh, it's just a Russian, you know, disinformation campaign against us. It's like, well, no, right. Like, Neither like you, of those things are true. Rightly said. I mean, it, it gets in the way of actually properly addressing the problem. Russia is very good at stirring the pot. And then and, exploiting. And exploiting. So I'm sure, so these Polish truckers probably had these issues or they were felt this way. And there may have been some sort of disinformation campaign to really fan those flames on social media, on, I'm not really sure, but that's kind of how, that's kind of their MO, right? It's like, you see a problem that already exists in a certain society and you just go over there and like exploit it and try to make it way worse with this information until it explodes. And I mean, it's hard to like prove that, but that's, that's, that's their special, that's the Russian specialty. So 
You know, I mean, yeah, hopefully with the new government in Poland, which is a pro-Western, EU-friendly, this, this will get resolved pretty quickly. Well, Lily, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Also this week, the U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced a defense aid package worth $175 million from previously directed drawdowns, calling it, quote, one of last defense aid packages if Congress fails to pass additional funding. The U.S. Justice Department has charged four Russian soldiers over the unlawful detainment and torture of a U.S. citizen who was residing in Ukraine, a historic case the department's Office of Public Affairs announced on December 6th. And a pro-Russian former lawmaker, Ilya Kiva, was found dead in Moscow on December 6th. According to the Kiva Independent sources in law enforcement, Kiva's death was a special operation conducted by the security services of Ukraine, known as SBU. You can find our show on YouTube and all audio platforms every Friday morning. If you like this episode, please subscribe to us and like our content wherever you're listening to this show. Go to kivindependent.com membership to support our work by donating and becoming a member of our community. And follow us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and X. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening.